Some of you tuned in might be aware that some of the articles that you read online about sports or the financial performance of companies are actually articles written by machines. There's a burgeoning field of natural language generation, which is different than simply natural language processing, which aims to create written content as humans would write it, but obviously at a much greater speed and scale. EasyOp, spelled Y-S-E-O-P, is a company that does just that. On this particular call, we have Matteo Rocher, who is a VP at EasyOp, and Matteo goes over with us some of the fundamentals of how natural language generation works, what needs to be front-loaded, what conditions need to be in place for natural language generation to work and really drive business objectives. And Matteo also talks about the difference in terms of his own wording between sort of discovery-oriented machine learning or, or AI and production level AI, where one might need to be more creative and pick up on unknown patterns, while another might really need to drive specific, succinct results without errors, and that they involve slightly different approaches, and that different industries might be partial to one or the other. And Matteo draws a little bit of an interesting distinction there in how that plays a role in uh, natural language generation as well, specifically for industries where compliance or or other sort of legal matters might make errors horribly detrimental. We might need to be a little bit more programmatic with how we set up systems to produce content as if a human had written it. So uh, without further ado, probably our first ever interview on natural language generation with Matteo of EasyUp. So, Matt, we're going to be going into, we've talked a good deal on the podcast, whether it be with Baidu or you know, other large and small companies about natural language processing, you know, understanding language. What you guys are doing at EasyOp is more on generating natural language, producing words and reports based on data. How do you explain NLG to people who aren't sort of from this field? Well, simply put, natural language generation means helping your computer generate text. So in the past, we've always used templates. You know, every time you have Hello World come out of a computer, yeah. you're generating language. I think that the real innovation today is that we have software that is coming out that allows you to analyze data, analyze structured data, and use it to generate text on the fly. So very simply, instead of having, if you have 4,000 data points, instead of writing 4,000 sentences, I can look at data, decide what's important, what's not, what do I need to talk about, and turn that into text. It's very similar to what a financial analyst does. Take a take a first use case, but yep. if you have an earnings report that comes out on Bloomberg, a financial analyst literally takes the data, is going to look at what's important, what's not, what's surprising, what's surprising against market estimates, against historical background, and then is going to write a report saying, you know, here's what I thought about GE's quarterly earnings. That's what we do, but we scale it, which means that we're able to generate thousands of pages per second. Got it. So it sounds like we're talking about a lot of context there, you know, in terms of a financial report. And maybe this will be a good kind of segue into, you know, where this stuff gets used in the field. You know, you and I were talking off microphone a little bit ago about how, you know, structured input, you know, maybe isn't 100% necessary, but it's very helpful in this domain where ultimately you're trying to produce reports. If you're getting data in the front end that's structured and really makes sense, it makes your job easier. So look at GE to come up with a financial assessment of GE against you know what was expected, against how they did the same time, you know the end of Q3 for the last three or four years. These are interesting kind of context points that it seems like might not be addressed in the initial report itself. 
how does that get pulled into such a report? Because I could see it being pretty easy to, or easier to garner insight from what's on the paper, but harder to garner insight from what you mentioned, other market forecasts that came out two months before, for example. That seems like a real challenge. Absolutely. So I think that to, to answer the question, the fundamental question that you're asking is, where does NLG fit? And what are the correct use cases? Yeah. I think that particularly since we talk about AI, AI has great potential. I'm sure everybody talks about it. I think the one flaw that AI has, and we were talking about this a bit uh, right before the podcast, is everybody's selling this as the silver bullet. I have a technology that's going to solve everything. I don't believe in that. I believe that every tool is only as great as the problem it solves. For example, a hammer is a fantastic tool. I work in software. I don't use hammers every day. Does it mean it's a bad tool? No, it's just because for my everyday problem, I'm not going to use hammers. Yep. When I look at artificial intelligence, I believe that the word is too broad. Very simply, the definition of artificial intelligence is to create intelligent machines. So then you can define intelligence however you want. And regardless of what you do, you can create a calculator and call it artificial intelligence. It's just a matter of saying. Yep. yep. It's semantics. Yep. I see the world every time I go to a trade show and, you know, things are evolving. We have to stay modest because things are moving so fast. For sure. Change in six months. But there are two types of artificial intelligence in the world. There's actually two ideologies running the world today, and they're competing against one another. The first one is what I call discovery artificial intelligence. So discovery artificial intelligence are going to be technologies that take a massive amount of inputs. They take any input. If I take natural language understanding, let's take Siri, what they sell you is regardless of the question you ask, we're going to answer. So you have an unlimited number of inputs, and the software is going to, based on these inputs, evolve, that's machine learning, is going to use statistical methodologies to get a result. Yep. The ideology behind people running this is they want to create an AI. I don't, they call it true AI, I believe is the word. They want to create as an AI that's as great as human beings and does everything a human being does. Yep. The problem with that, with machine learning, with natural language understanding, is the error rate. When you do machine learning, machine learning is based on the fact that correlation and causality are the same. I'm being a bit short, but this is the main logic. You, yeah, you, can, make, you can make some jumps, yeah, that aren't, aren't good ones, yeah. Absolutely. So it's going to be a great tool. I'll give you a use case for machine learning. If you're a doctor in a hospital, you have a patient, and he has a disease that you never saw before. You can use IBM Watson, for example. I use IBM Watson because they're pushing a lot of marketing in healthcare. But they're going to use natural language understanding and machine learning to look at every data they have on file and tell you, oh, this already happened three times in Russia, five times in India, and twice in the UK, and here's what happened. The only problem is that because there's an error rate, that's a great insight for a doctor, but because there's an error rate, you need to give that insight to the doctor so he can filter out what's good and what's wrong. You have a, if you consider that correlation and causality are the same, which is what machine learning does, I can convince you that to reduce the number of people who drown in the United States, you have to stop Nicholas Cage from playing into movies. Because for some reason, we don't know why, we don't think that Nicholas Cage drowns people. <laughs> of course not. But there's a perfect correlation between the number of movies he plays in every year and the number of uh, people who drown in the United States. And this occurred for a 10 or 15 year period. You can look this up on the internet. What I mean by this is when you're looking at discovery, when you are the expert and you want to be smarter, discovery is fantastic. The second family, the second ideology in artificial intelligence is what I would call production artificial intelligence. Now, where I say there's a war between the two is that today, everybody who works in discovery AI is trying to tell the world that anybody who works in production AI isn't actual AI. 
So they call themselves, you know, true AI as a way of saying that we are, us, the production people, fake AI. It's a bit of a fun war, but... Uh, Yeah, I've seen seen a little bit of that. Uh, Luckily, I haven't seen as many people throw you guys under the bus. You know, folks who are working on non-ML, non-inference based, but it it sounds like maybe you see it a lot more than me being, you know, in, in your shoes. If you look at how many people work in machine learning and tell you that programmatic will isn't good enough because, of course, it doesn't learn, it doesn't evolve. Very simply, production AI is to say, I have a controlled set of inputs and I want to scale my output. So I'll give you an example. If you work at Toyota and you're trying to figure out what features the next 2018 Corolla needs to have, you can use discovery AI to you know, read millions of Twitter feeds and see what people are expecting in their car next year. Once you build your prototype and you want to build the car reliably, quickly, economically, and scale it across the world, you're not in discovery mode. You're not trying to discover what features. You want to tell the machine, here's what you're going to do. You're going to take these pieces of metal. You're going to make me a million cars. Get to work. It's a completely different business problem. Yeah, it's yeah, a business it, problem yep. where we try to scale. Scalability is the issue. And to the best of my knowledge too, man, and I mean, tell me if I'm wrong here, but I actually, I haven't personally, I don't have an affinity or, or like a camp that I sit in, right? I'm I'm outside of the bipartisan battle on the AI semantic stuff. I'm interested in how people define it, but I don't I don't fight for for any party. To the best of my knowledge, you know, even our modern triumphs of machine learning, you know, like the victories in Go are still involve some degree of other kinds of AI systems. You know, we've got other sorts of decision trees and, you know, structured knowledge that's in there from the get-go, some kind of programmed information sort of to start off with. To the best of my knowledge, in many autonomous cars, machine learning is part of it, but there's all kinds of other quote-unquote intelligent, quote-unquote programmed systems that sort of play a role. So I, I think probably we'll see a proliferation of both, if I'm not mistaken. So for the audience's case, I think a lot of the time, robust applications are going to involve both. But I guess what you're saying, Matt, is a lot of the time people who are in machine learning will say everything is only machine learning and nothing really should be programmed. And I guess what you're saying is there are use cases when it really makes sense to streamline the heck out of things and program a particular output to come out the other end reliably. Absolutely. I use the Toyota example because the auto industry has, when you look at the automation of its supply chain, has done 25, 30 years ago what the service industry is doing today. Call centers, if you look at call centers, if you look at banks, if you look at all these people, they're just doing what the industrial sector did when the robot arrived in the 80s. The difference is that in the 80s, it was blue-collar jobs and factories that were shutting down now because of automation. Jobs, yep. Now it's financial. Now we're talking about lawyers, doctors. We're talking about different jobs, but it's still the same It's still the same reasoning, which is why I, I really like that uh, Toyota example because with their Kaizen, they have been the example of progress through automation. What I would say is for our listeners, there's no good and bad AI. It's only a question of the tool. So the fundamental nature of machine learning is trial and error. And if you want to look at the people who put money, actual billions of dollars on machine learning, it's always companies where success has value and error doesn't have any incidence. So if I take, you know, Google is going to do machine learning to improve their advertising. If once in a while the wrong advertising shows up, number one, there's no problem. You can do that. But if you're talking about selling financial products, retirement products to Americans, having a 5%, 10%, 30% sometimes error rate is not possible. 
there or like treating no tri- treating a treating cancer or something, right? You can't just automate it and say like, well, every now and again we'll treat it the wrong way, right? Am I am I on the same page with you? Exactly. So it Got really it. depends on the use case. Yep. When we come to production, so production are going to be inference engines. So let me say this way: if you believe that machine learning is artificial intelligence, then an autopilot is not artificial intelligence. Because an autopilot that flies a plane from Singapore to London nonstop without the pilot touching anything does not use a single drop of machine learning because it can't have an error rate. If I look at you know security systems in nuclear power plants and electric grids, these are trigger-based program systems. And the logic that you have when you're in the production environment is to say, I don't have time for this creativity. So my issue is I want to take the best person in my industry and scale him. And that's what NLG brings to the service industry. We scaled the pilot by allowing, how can I say this? When you're in production, because you have limited inputs, the autopilot flies the plane 95% of the time, and the pilot flies at the 5% that are yep. complicated. Yep. If I take NLG, what do we do on an everyday basis? There's two main use cases. The first one is reporting. So reporting, whether it's to regulators or whether it's to my customers, it's going to be, let's say that a bank is going to have a financial analyst is going to look at an equity earnings report, to, is going to look at the accounting and finance, is going to collect data. This is all data you can find on Bloomberg, right? Data from market estimates, the bank's estimates, compared to historical values. What were analyst estimates about today a year ago? This is all structured data. And what the analyst does is he's going to write a report about this so that investors across the world can understand how GE, for example, performed last quarter. The problem you have with financial analysis is that a financial analyst costs a lot of money. When it comes to, because of regulation, compliance, and things like that, a one-page report, some of my customers have one-page reports that are going to cost anywhere between $1,000 and $3,000 per page. It's a ton of money for a page of text. Absolutely, but it has to go through three committees and 10 lawyers before it can be published. What's interesting with this text is that you can do it for General Electric. But there are millions of companies, millions of cities, of indexes that need to be audited, that would like to be analyzed, where there would be value in analyzing them, but you can't put a data analyst behind every person in the world. That's where scalability comes in. What do I do? I scale 95% of the cases. I scale the GEs and, you know, I do the simple task so that all the financial analysts, instead of working on earning reports when nothing happened, can put all their resources on figuring out how a company which just had an accounting fraud scandal is going to make it out or not. An example I use if I take credit rating is, do you want to put a credit rating person behind a city in Kansas with 520 people? Or do you want to put 500 people working in credit rating on the city of Detroit to figure out how the city of Detroit is going to get back on its feet in the next 25 years? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what the scalability brings. When it comes to reporting, let us do the easy task. You guys can do the creative part and the noble aspect. So I'd like to dig a little bit more into reporting, and then we can get into the other the other side of the coin here too. And in all fairness, as we go through this brief interview here, we are having to simplify a lot of concepts and notions. I think it, there's a decent amount of truth to the fact that you know a lot of machine learning applications really are going to allow for some error that maybe wouldn't be okay in some areas. There are certainly some domains, you know, like speech to text, or I think even autonomous vehicles at, at some point in the future, if not already, where machine learning actually will, you know, because of the, the flubbiness of the inputs, actually will be able to sort of improve efficiencies. But there's certainly cases where it won't and where you don't really want to be creative, you don't need to be creative, and it's more risky than not. And that's the world where you guys hang out. And I think there's obviously validity and value there. Otherwise, you wouldn't have a business model. 
In terms of maybe a particular report, Matt, you mentioned something about you know an earnings report of GE or something. Maybe you can walk us through what an example looks like and kind of what the machine is doing. You know, what kind of data is it taking in the front end, and then how is it structuring things, and what comes out the back end, just so people can get a sense of what does NLG look like in industry. You know, what gets eaten, what gets produced. You know, in this sort of automated fashion. Absolutely. So, so I think that when you're in production, you have to program everything. So the war, you know, the who, which vendor wins yeah. depends on the level of effort. If you can, in 10 days, build an application and put in production and generate a million pages of financial reports per day, it's very easy to do and it's very simple. Yeah, if it takes business. you a thousand days yep. to generate at the end a hundred reports, it's not worth it. Yep. Yep. So, so that's really what we focus on. What I mean by that is let's take an earnings report, right? Let's say that on Bloomberg, you have data about GE's quarterly earnings. And you also have market estimates, and you also have your own estimates, which is how high were GE's revenue last quarter, how high you estimated them to be, you know, a few months ago. And you take this data, and the way EasyUp works is actually exactly like an Excel spreadsheet. If you were to put it on an Excel spreadsheet, what would you do? You would first take the data, you would take, you know, define the columns, do a little data cleansing, define the columns to be able to know, okay, this line is going to be revenue, this column is going to be Q1, this column is going to be Q2. I would say organize the data to be able to work with it. Then you're going to define your formulas. And your formulas allow you to go from raw data to process data, right? You're going to do your aggregates, your median, your averages, your subtractions, your additions, whatever you need to do. And after that, once you have your process data, you're going to turn your process data, you're going to express your process data into a pie chart. If I take NLG, and easier, but all, all the actors in NLG, it's actually quite similar. You take the data. You're going to define your business rules. And then this is where it depends. You know, some simple template generators and simple NLG tools are going to have decision trees. Others, this is where EasyUp is going to be. We're going to have a little more effort, but, you know, more high end because we have inference engines and more complex AI. But it's this idea of saying you take raw data and you turn it into process data. So you're going to do your calculations, but you're going to add on top adjectives, what we call qualitative information. If I have a 2% growth, is 2% a lot or not a lot? 2% yeah, GDP the, growth for Greece is huge. 2% growth for China is nothing. It's a disaster. Are the people sort of putting in that initial context here as the machine sort of ingests this information? In other words, this, this backdrop about China and Greece, this is something that a computer sitting alone in a dark corner doesn't know. But a guy like yourself who hangs out in a Bloomberg terminal you know, would have a pretty good understanding of the general growth rate of Greece versus China. Is this kind of contextual stuff part of the initial input that gets put in the front end here, Matt? Exactly. But that's exactly what the analyst does when he builds his application. Got right? it. He's okay, going to okay. say, I am the expert. We're not going to do trial and error. I'm the expert. I'm going to teach the machine everything I know so that it's going to scale it and I can focus on something else. Yeah, So yeah, yeah, I, totally. I know how much is expected in the West. I know how much is expected in Greece. I know how much is expected in China. Just like I type Excel formulas, it doesn't have to be complicated, right? I type my little few if-then-else decision trees, if I have a decision tree technology, in order to, at the end, have my results, my aggregated data, my the results of my calculations, if I wanted to do a few calculations, often I do, my quantitative information, which allows me to know what do I need to talk about and how do I need to talk about it. And once I have these results, I'm going to start generating the text. And the text, the purely NLG part, so the intelligence part, the data analysis, can be complicated or not depending on the technology. Once you have these results, these results are turned into text. That layer, which is it's really the user interface, that is the pure NLG. 
energy on its own is never enough. But what energy is, fundamentally, to put it in layman terms, it's a template that conjugates itself. Hmm. So I'll give you an example. Mr. Smith opened a bank account at Chase Bank. You know, you can put that with a whole blank, open the bank account at blank. Yep. What NLG brings, just the NLG layer is Mr. and Mrs. Smith both opened the bank account at Chase Bank. Got it. Which okay, allows okay. you to write 10, 15 times more text with only one centralized template. Yep. So, what, you, what so the, part of the thinking work, tell me if I'm wrong, Matt, part of the thinking work is for this business case, you know, if you guys go into a business, whether it's a bank or you know, credit agency or whoever else is going to be using the NLG product, we'd be thinking through, is there a template that we already have that can conjugate itself and adjust itself to this business case? Or what do we have to do to adjust, modify, or build that one? And then what are the other contextual things that need to be pumped into that conjugated template? And then we can run the raw information through the front end and pump it into that template too. We'd be building out sort of what the deliverable is, I guess, so that variations of it can be produced at high volume. It sounds like that's a little bit of the the thinking work, the analyst work on the onset to make sure that you're making the right stuff. Absolutely. And then if you want to choose your NLG technology, because there's a, there's a handful of actors on the market, if you want to choose your NLG vendor and your technology, what you have to ask yourself is how deep do you want to go? So if you look at, I'll give you an example, but if you look at a template that conjugates itself, everybody can do that, right? That's the most standard NLG tools that are some are open source that can do that. Then when you get to the level of, first of all, the advanced level of linguistics is the ability to handle anaphoras. Anaphoras is the idea of saying, Bob arrived at the office, he is in the kitchen. Or if I were to say, Bob arrived at the office, John arrived five minutes later, he is in the kitchen. He talks about John, not about Bob, because he is the referent, but you have a new reference point within the sentence. Yep, yep. That's very interesting because whenever you're talking about financial analysis, for example, you don't want to write a robotic text. GE was great. GE was fantastic. GE had great revenue. GE reduced cost. You want to be able to write sentences such as GE did great this quarter, even though the economy was not good, the company was able yeah, to yeah, maintain yep, yep. its yeah, That's make it, make it c- come across like natural text so that you're adding in those features that sort of make it readable, I guess, so it doesn't feel like a set of bullet points that's tough to just kind of drink in with your eyes. That's what we call advanced NLG. Got and it. then if you want to take it to the next level, which is where you have that additional layer of intelligence, which is particularly important for people who do reporting on data, whether it's competitive analysis reports, when, when you have comparisons, things like that, you need to be able to have intelligence. If I go back to my Mr. and Mrs. Smith example, if you need to say Mr. and Mrs. Smith both open a bank account, Chase Bank, you can use any tool. And then you just take the tool that's quickest to go to production. Yep. Where the intelligence aspect on top of the analogy is important is the ability of saying Mr. and Mrs. Smith both open a bank account, Chase Bank, because we sent them an offer. We saw that they were going to Europe three times per day, and we sent them an offer for a credit card that gave them zero transaction fee and fidelity points at the Sofitel, which is their favorite hotel when they go to London and Paris. You see, which is this ability of not just explaining what is happening, but explaining the underlying data, explaining why it's happening. Yeah, and then this is that context information that, again, a human would have to structure the way to let that enter the picture because a machine in a dark room doesn't know that the Sofitel Hotel is a hotel that this person goes to or yada yada. But I suppose you're talking about how to develop the ability to then add in that context 
to tie that in to make sense, not just to drink in a dry document, but to pair that with the rest of the relevant facts so that that stuff can be part of the streamlined inputs that produce a solid report. Yeah, I would say that the data, you have two things. You need the use case and you also need to have the underlying data, right? So the more data you have, the better you will get. Of course. And those are the iterations. If I take an Excel spreadsheet, first of all, you need to, if I take, when you look at NLG, you need to know how far you want to go, right? If you choose a vendor that isn't good enough, you're then going to have to change vendor in the middle of the project. So look at your objective to choose the correct vendor. And after that, it's going to work like an Excel spreadsheet, which is if you look at the Excel spreadsheets you have on your computer, every time you think of something new, you're going to add an extra column and you're yep. going to get more. It's going to be a constant evolution. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So in that sense, it is you know programmed, but it's programmed with the things that you need it to make sense of in order to produce the result that you want to come out the back end. In closing, just to flesh out a little bit more on this, Matt, I know we're kind of closing the gap here on time, but I, I really want to make sure that the audience sort of gets you know, what is NLG? How does this stuff make sense in the world? We just talked about reporting. There's one other kind of major use case that you and I were talking about off mic, just really briefly, just to add some color and some flesh to sort of what NLG means and does in a real business environment. What is that other use case and, and sort of how does that work in basic terms, just like we did with the first one? Yeah. So I would say there's, when we look at data in general, there's only two reasons why we do BI. The first one is to figure out what the data means for me. That's the reporting. That's what we call insight. And the second one is, what should I do about it? Which is action. Together, they do actionable insight. So reporting is all about understanding the context. The second thing we work on is action, actionable insight to be exact. And we have one specific use case, which is, if I look at a CRM today, a CRM is 100,000 data points that we send our salespeople, expecting them to use this data in order to sell to the 50 customers they're going to call today. Yep. There's so much data, it's impossible. If I look at in banking, particularly in finance, particularly, but in a lot of industries today, you have so much regulation that when you look at the data, if you find a product that is good for a customer, it's difficult to figure out what is the procedure to follow in order to sell the product? So what we do is we have a linguistic user interface on top of the CRM. And instead of having you know, the charts and the dashboard, this whole dashboard with the tens of thousands of actions and things like that, you just have one page that says, here's who the customer is, here's what you need to know about him, here's what you need to sell, and here's how you need to sell it. And that application today, we have over 100,000 people, mostly in the financial industry, but also in Technology, anytime you have a large product catalog and a large CRM database, let the AI match the customer need with the product catalog and let your salespeople focus on stuff. And just to, again, I'm glad we have a tangible example there. I think that is a good case of, you know, a real mess of spaghetti that nobody's going to be able to make immediate sense of unless you let them sit there for a whole weekend and, you know, have them work 20 hours over the weekend to try to pull out some kind of correlation of, you know, upsells and cross-sells and, you know, new ways to score hot leads or, or whatever the case may be. That's just too damn hard. I mean, it, it does seem like it could be a statistical inference problem, but I know that that's not the way that you guys are doing it and producing a report on this. What is the machine sort of taking in? And do we have to do kind of a similar, I imagine we would, we'd come up with some kind of initial structured method to garner this insight. So in other words, Matt, you would have whatever your template is, you would have the sources of data that you yank into that template and sort of the pace and rhythm that it gets pulled in to push out 
this weekly insight report of what kind of industries are we hitting hard, what kind of upsells are working well, et cetera, et cetera, what sorts of front-end programming would happen in, in a CRM insight use case where we're trying to figure out what's the best way to allocate salesperson time? What's that front-end structure that we need so, to garner value? So this is the CRM. is the perfect example where you have the value of language. Data is useless if you don't use it. Right? Data on its own doesn't have any value. The reason why I'm saying this is because when you look at machine learning tools and analytics tools, they're going to tell you that, oh, this customer, you need to sell them the Toyota Corolla. Yeah, except that is not a sale. A sale is saying you need to sell this car because, you know, so for one person, if you're a college kid, I'm trying to sell you a Toyota Corolla, I could say, you know, if you want to buy after you leave college in a few years, if you want to buy a new car, you should know that the Toyota Corolla has the best resale value in its class. If you're a young mother, I'm going to say, you know, the Toyota Corolla is great. It's great for your children because there's lots of room for the car seat. We have the safest car in the market, and it doesn't consume a lot of oil, which is great for your children's future. Ah, okay, okay. It's the same vehicle, but it's the argumentation that makes the sale. Got and it. the argumentation can only go through, even if you think of it through data, if you give people a table, like a market basket, I don't know if you've ever seen a market basket analysis. It's what retailers use to figure out what to put on the together on the same aisle. Yeah, yeah. It's a table that is 15 columns long, 25,000 lines. If you don't have six days and a PhD, there's no way you're going to use it. Yep. Here we put it simple language. Here's what you need to sell. Here's how you need to sell it. Here's the argumentation you need to give so that the salesperson cannot focus on the product catalog, not focus on the compliance, can only focus on the customer. Got it. So this, in terms of production, I'm going to try to use your language and see if I'm understanding it because you're using a, a kind of verbiage that we haven't really had on the, the show before, but maybe it'll be a useful distinction for the folks tuned in. We're not, in this particular case, although I'm sure there's an application for that, in fact, we may have interviewed companies that do it, you know, glean some particular correlations and insights from data that maybe hasn't already been teased out. And in this case, we're figuring out What's the person? What's the product? What's the reason that that would be ideal for that particular person in this case? And let's put that in front of the sales guy. We know that this stuff works. We know that this is the right marketing message. We don't want him to have to think about it. You know, it is very difficult to comb through the entire big spreadsheet here, but we can put this in front of this guy as a two paragraph shtick. And if he's got these two meetings with these people on uh, out in the lot for selling cars, you know we're going to suspect he'll have better odds if he knows this is Susan's situation. Here's why these are going to be our best options. This is Billy's situation. Here's probably why these are going to be our best options. So it's programmatic in that regard that it's sort of systematically pumping out what would be pretty hard information to maybe find yourself and just putting it in the hands of the sales guy as he walks out onto the lot so that our best strategies get used First, and that's another NLG thing for this kind of memo and insight. If I'm if I'm catching your drift, we go, Matt. we go back to scalability. Reporting is about scaling a marketing analyst, or you know, digital marketing analyst, or a financial analyst. Here, we're talking about put me in the room with the CMO and the best salesman in the company. And from experience, we've seen this time and time again. We're going to boost the number of meetings that your salespeople are going to take by thirty percent because they're going to focus on meetings rather than focusing on preparing the meetings. And we're going to boost the average number of products that customers sell. When I look at retail banking particularly, we can boost up to 20% on V1, right? Not V5, not with a multi-million dollar project. Within three months, we can boost by 20% the amount of products that a customer has bought by the time he's out of the retail bank on average. Yeah, again, the goal here, just like building the car, the Toyota thing, maybe I can close on this, is, hey, here's how we build a car. Let's structure a bunch of machines that have enough smarts to really consistently take all this metal 
and turn it into cars as fast as possible. We don't need new cars. We just need this one kind of car and we need a whole lot of them. The kind of same thing here. We got a lot of sales guys. We got a ton of meetings. We want those meetings already prepared for. We want the hard work, kind of the, the expert level sort of value prop decisions and pitch decisions to just be made and have these people just go to meetings. We want these robotic arms making cars eight days a week. Kind of the same analogy. We're, we're garnering what the expertise is. We're garnering the ideal process and we're streamlining that in this case with text rather than with robotic arms. That's kind of the scale analogy, I guess. Exactly. We are, we're just bringing to us to sales guys, what car manufacturers have been using for 30 years. Got it. Okay. Well, I think that closes us on a note that I think can be insightful for the folks tuned in. This is a particular approach in this domain that is obviously one that you guys are focusing on. And I'm glad we were able to kind of flesh out what NLG is and, and sort of how we can use this to streamline tangible jobs. I think hopefully the people tuned in can really understand the Toyota analogy in terms of the forethought and work and sort of gleaning that insight in the beginning and then building a system that produces that consistently. Doing that for white collar work, definitely a, a tougher ball game in some regards, but obviously we got people like Matt and companies like EasyOp that are working on just that stuff. Matt, thanks so much for being able to join us here in the Tech Emergence Podcast. Thanks for having me. That wraps up today's episode here on the Tech Emergence Podcast, and thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to stay in touch with our latest interviews with C-level executives and top researchers and thinkers in the domains of AI and the intersection of technology and intelligence, then make sure to subscribe here on iTunes or visit us on our main website at techemergence.com, where you can see all of our interviews broken down by category, as well as articles, news, market research, and trends in artificial intelligence. If you found this episode particularly thought-provoking, feel free to leave your thoughts in a review here on iTunes, or you can feel free to reach out to us at our main website. Thanks as always for tuning in, and I'll catch you next week.